Oh God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No mountain too high, no wall too tall. We've been connected with Mississippi this morning. We are connected with the throne room of the universe in this worship. Holy Father, knowing that it is you on the throne in charge of life on this planet, we are so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As we turn to your teaching today, please get our minds focused. Take Take our spirits. Engage us for these next few moments. We really want to hear your word through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I want to share with you three pictures from this summer, three images from summer. You're going to see these three, and for some of you, you're going to say, you know what, 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 what is the connection? How do these possibly fit? But I want to suggest to you that in the composite of these three images you are about to see, I believe we have a very compelling premise for why we must embark on this journey we embark on today. So let me put uh, picture number one on the screen. Look to the screen, please. Picture number one. What you see there is a classroom full of young Islamic boys. This summer we learned that these schools are called, called madrasas. They are conservative Islamic schools that indoctrinate their young. Now look carefully. The boys are all reading the Quran, the holiest book of their religion. And when I saw that news clip this summer, their little heads bobbing back and forth and wrote memory recitation from the Quran, I said, wow. Now, picture number two. Let's put it on the screen, please. Look at that. Do you remember watching on television this summer that, uh, that clip of a heartbroken rabbi being forced out of his synagogue a few days into the, uh, the enforced deportation of the Israelis who were living in the Gaza Strip. Did, did you remember seeing that? This is not that rabbi. We, we looked everywhere to find him. But this is a picture of a rabbi. You remember the, the deportation, all a part of this hope-for peace agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians. But please note what the rabbi is tenderly embracing in his arms. What is it? They are the sacred scrolls of the holiest book of their religion, the ancient Torah and prophets and writings. All right, let's put picture number three on the screen. This you recognize instantly, a satellite portrait of the most devastating natural disaster to ever strike our nation, Hurricane Katrina whose destructive swath we already know through Louisiana and Mississippi has been chronicled nonstop. I mean, can you believe it? Nonstop full video color coverage. And I remind you, at this very moment, two busloads of our Andrews University students are somewhere in Mississippi. We lost that connection, but they are alive and well, ministering relief to that heavily hit state. Isn't it amazing, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, while that, while that picture is still on the screen, isn't it amazing that this killer hurricane comes eight months almost to the day after our world was brought to its knees with twin killer tsunamis? And that's something. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your head for your, how's it go, for your redemption draweth nigh. 
Now, in first service, I kind of let out in this uh, connection to Katrina, and I shared a sentence in our first worship service written about a hundred years ago that suggested more and more frequently calamities of hurricane, tempest, wind, and flood will pummel this planet. I'm not discouraged, though. I tell you what, with the university students like we have, those two busloads, and I know your hearts are there as mine is today, I'm not discouraged. God has called us for a moment like this to instantly respond to the critical need of this human race. But I'm also encouraged because every calamity is a reminder to me we are living on the threshold of eternity. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. So what are these three pictures? What does the composite have to do with us? I'll tell you what it has to do. Given the urgency of the hour in which we live and given the devotion of the other two global monotheistic religions, given their devotion to their holiest of all books in their religions, what should be the attitude of the Christian in Michiana, i.e. you and me, what should be our attitude to this, what we consider to be the holiest of all books? Where does this book rank? Come on, you tell me. Where does this book rank? In your pantheon of priorities, what does this book say to the way, as a young adult, as a university community, as a resident here in Michiana, what does this book say to you? Very interestingly enough, this summer, just three weeks ago, in August, George Barna, this, the, the, the very well-known Christian demographer and pollster, conducted a survey whose startling numbers will tell us exactly where this book stands. In fact, I want to, I want to share those numbers with you. Because I happen to subscribe to his research newsletter, so I get, the, I get the bulletins. And this just came out three weeks ago. Now, before I share the numbers, I need to, share, I need to tell you this. I met back in uh, springtime, back in April, I met with a group of university students over a table of pizza up here in our loft. And I listened to them as they evaluated our worship, worship services here at Pioneer and Andrews. I said, tell me what we do well. Tell me what we don't do well at. I want to know. And after five pages of notes, I said, okay, now let's talk about the preaching. Tell me, what do you think we need to be hearing on this campus? And I must tell you, I was, I was taken aback when I heard those young adults say, Pastor, we, they're speaking of themselves now, their generation, we need to be held morally accountable. And I'm thinking, wait, time out. Are you, am I hearing this right? They went on, yep, we need... To be told to hold high the moral standard of this life. I scribbled those notes down. I got one page of those notes. And then when I went on my sabbatical this summer, I ruminated. I brooded over those. And it was out of that counsel and suggestion that this journey you and I are embarking upon today, this journey emerged. Let me, let, let me, and in fact, that was, it turns out that was the very question... That was the very question uh, George Barna asked of Americans. What place does the Bible have in your life? I want to share those numbers with you, but first let me put a quote from uh, Barna on the screen here. How people react to moral issues is a common challenge these days. The Supreme Court nomination of John Roberts, funding for stem cell research, the war in Iraq and against terrorism, sexual abuse by clergy, the Terry Schiavo case, gay marriage, and many other recent issues have brought people's moral convictions into play. Yet, in spite of the fact that most Americans consider themselves to be Christians, I mean, we're talking about a number up around 60, 70 percent, all right? Most Americans do 
Very few adults base their moral decisions on the Bible and surprisingly few believe that absolute moral truth exists. End quote. Wow. Now, here come the startling numbers. 54% of those surveyed by George Barna this summer, 54% said they based their moral decisions upon a set of standards, some sort of collection of principles. The other 46% said, oh, well, you know, I make decisions based on what feels right, what makes me happy, what causes the least conflict, what produces the most positive outcome. So let's just take the 54%. Of the 54%, 3 out of 10, 33% said, yep, I go to the Bible when I make my moral decision. So if you translate now to the general populace, that's one out of six Americans. Only one out of six Americans, 16% of those surveyed, said, I go to the Bible for my moral authority. So how do you make your, mor- your, your moral choices, huh? Come on, how do, how do you make it? You say, oh, come on, Pastor. Listen, this is Andrews University. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Oh, really? Oh, really? Don't you answer this. Don't you answer this. Don't you dare raise your hand. How many, how many of you brought a Bible to church and worship today? Don't raise your hand. How many of you brought a Bible to church today? Now, I don't need you to raise your hands. Because those snappy-looking young pathfinders that you saw at the door when you came into church today, they were not just window dressing. They were counting how many of you came without your Bible. So, I just got handed a slip before coming up here into the pulpit. (laughs) Along with pictures of the individuals who came in. (laughs) You may go to our website, www. All right. Okay. Isn't this something? I won't tell you what the number was in first church, but here's the number in second church. 970 of you came to worship today without a Bible. 970 of you. Now, look at it, look at it, look at it. I, I know, and I, I'm, I'm covering for you to the Pathfinders, don't worry. I'm saying, you know, they had to get out of the dorm room very fast today. Or they had to leave the home, they just had to, you know, so they forgot it. Don't feel bad, don't feel bad. We did not take down any names in this survey. We, we took initials down, but no names, so we, we, we have you. No, 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 no. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, and the question deserves to be repeated, what is the moral authority that guides you. Now, some of you are saying, are you talking about the college kids? No, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about every worshiper who's here, everyone watching right now in Michiana. What is the moral authority that guides you in the decisions you make 24-7, night and day? One-sixth of Americans say, it's the Bible. Only one out of six. So how many out of us, huh? Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Most of us, knee-high to a grasshopper, had to learn that line, didn't we? I want you to open your Bible right now to where that line is found in Holy Scripture. It's the very middle of your Bible. The book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in all of Scripture. Psalm 119. That's the only reason we know Psalm 119. We just know that if you're reading your Psalms through, it takes forever to get past 119. Ah, but there's so much more in Psalm 119, as you and I will find out in our journey this new season. Go to Psalm 119. And because I had to learn that in the old King James Version when I was a boy, I have the old King James Version with me here in the pulpit. 
Now, if you didn't bring a Bible, you may get the Bible that is in front of you in the pew. Do it very, do it very, very, just be, be sneaky about it because you don't want anybody to know that you came without a Bible. So just kind of <laughs> take the hymnal with it so they're not sure, you know. All right. It's page 417 in our pew Bible, which would be the, uh, the New King James Version. Look at that. Uh, in fact, uh, you know what? Let's read it. So, uh, verse 11, Psalm 119. Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Let, hey, let's read this out loud together. Come on. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. I wish you'd write that down right now. Take your pen out. Reach into your new worship bulletin today to begin this new season. Pull out that uh, study guide. Do you see that study guide there? Now, if several of you came in together and just one of you grab the worship bulletin. Don't feel bad. We're going to get a study guide to you right now. Ushers, let's do it, please. Would you stand, ushers? Thank you. Hold your hands up because there's, I have some more statistics I want you to see. In the balcony, in the back, here at the front. Don't be embarrassed. This is not an incrimination. It just means you were trying to save us money and didn't get a bulletin when you came in. Take a study guide right now. Those of you watching on television, if you will go to our website, let me put the uh, address on the screen for you right now. You see it there? www.pmchurch.tv. This new series is called Hid in My Heart. And it's pretty clear where those words came from. Today's teaching is the Davidic Code. Click on to the Davidic Code. You've heard of the Da Vinci Code. We'll get to that in a moment. This is the Davidic Code. Click there under Study Guide. And through the magic of cyberspace, you will have that study guide in front of you. I wish you would take it now. I have mine here in the pulpit with me. Take your study guide and let's fill in this one line. This is the only text I'm sharing with you today. Psalm 119, verse 11. Fill it in, please. Thy word, here we go, thy word, write in the word, word, have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. All right, did you get that? Thy word of a hidden mind heart that I might not sin against thee. Question time, thinkers. Is sin a moral choice? Is sin a moral choice? Oh my, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? But of course, of course sin is a moral choice. So, then here is a single line from Holy Scripture devoted to moral choices. And by the way, if you have moral choices, then you have moral accountability, don't you? Because if you've been given a choice, then you're accountable over, for the choice that you make. Remember the young adults said, hey, we want to we be held morally accountable. And keep thinking now, those students said, if we're going to be held morally accountable, then does it not follow that we have to have a moral authority that defines that morality? Do we not? You have to have moral authority to be morally accountable. And what is the moral authority? Sure enough, we find it as well in this one line from ancient scripture. What is that moral authority? Thy, say it with me. Thy word. Whose word? Whose word? God's word. All right? In fact, did you know this? Get your pen moving now. I'm going to give you some stats on Psalm 119. This psalm can rightfully be named, jot this down please, an ode to God's word. An ode. What is an ode? It's a poem. It's a composition. A little, a little creation. An ode. A poem to God's word. Okay? You say, how, how, how come? Oh, I'll show you why. There are 22 stanzas. Would you write that down too? There are 22 stanzas in this Hebrew poem. One for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each stanza of eight verses begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So eight stanzas, the first letter be, for us would be A, then the next eight under B, C, D, E. That would be the English alphabet. But there are 22 letters in the Hebrew 
And because each one begins with the next letter, it's called, jot this down, it's called an acrostic. It's called an acrostic poem, where each new line begins with the next letter of the alphabet. In this case, every eight lines begins with the next letter. Now, here's something none of you knew, perhaps. Intriguing. Every line in this 176, that's why it's so long, eight, eight stanzas per 22 verses, eight times 22, 176. Every line in this 176 verse poem contains either, jot this down please, either the word law or the word word or synonyms of those two words. Every single line. I think there may be two exceptions in the entire poem. In fact, look, look, let's go to the, 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 just turn the page, the scripture that uh, Shelhai read a moment ago. Uh, This would be verse 97, that that, that long uh, poem, but drop down to verse 97. Oh, how I love thy what? Oh, I I love your law. Okay, so there it is. Let's go to uh, 98. Thou through thy commandments. Oh, there it is. There's another synonym. Let's go down to 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Hey, isn't that a great one for a university? I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. See, testimonies. You're going to find statute. You're going to find precept. You're going to find the word judgment. You will always find either the word law or the word word or one of their synonyms in this poem. It's called an ode. I call it an ode to the Word of God. It's also called the Davidic. I call it the Davidic Code. Now, have you heard of the Da Vinci Code? I mean, who hasn't heard of the Da Vinci Code? Please. This runaway global bestseller by Daniel Brown. You see it on the screen there? That next May, I've been told, becomes a blockbuster Hollywood movie. The plot... Now, here's what's interesting. The plot of this bestseller centers around the purported charge that the church of the Middle Ages concealed the truth that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and sired children through her before he died on the cross. I've not read the book, but that's the plot. Huh? Unsubstantiated histrionic rubbish, to be sure, but it sure sells books. Now, guys, ladies and gentlemen, if your postmodern secular neighbor came to you and said, hey, I just read the Da Vinci Code. Can you tell me, is this true? Where would you turn here to tell him yay or nay, true or not? Could you defend the truth of Jesus in this moral authority? Could you? That's a whole other subject, and we're not going to get into it. Whole books that come out from Christian authors in defense. But let me just share this with you before we hurry on. Jesus, when he died... If he had been married to Mary Magdalene, to whom do you suppose he would have left his mother for care? He would have left her to his wife. Instead, he looks down from the cross and he has to choose his best friend. He's not married. He had to choose his best. Would you mind taking care of my mother now that I'm dying? See? The Da Vinci Code. The Davidic Code. You say, what's, about, what's so big about the Davidic Code? Ah, jot this down. The Davidic Code is the code that David, the author of Psalm 119, David holds up this code as a moral authority. In fact, keep your, keep your pen moving now. Fill it in. It is the, the, the Davidic Code is the moral code and moral authority of all who follow God. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, it, it, it is the Word of God. This right here in my hand is the Davidic Code. That's the ode to God's Word. So clear, that point. Thy Word have I hid in mine heart 
that I might not sin against thee. It's the only, ladies and gentlemen, it is the only authoritative moral code on earth. And I know that we're living in a politically correct society right now. And some of you are saying, boy, Dwight, you sure are not being very polite to the other two monotheistic world religions. I mean, what are you saying about the Quran? What are you saying about the Torah? All right. I understand. We do need to be politically correct anymore. So let's do this. I want to share with you now before I sit down. I want to share with you now. Three major evidences why I believe the Bible supersedes every other holy book on earth, bar none. All right? I'm going to give you three right now. Keep your pen moving. I tell you, strap on your seatbelt because we're going to fly through this. All right? Three evidences. And I got this, by the way, from James McDonald's new book, God Wrote a Book. And I, wrote, I, I read his book this summer. Evidence number one. Please write this down. Evidence number one, write in the word external. External. You see, people accuse us Christians of using circular reasoning. They say, hey, you go to the Bible to prove the veracity of the Bible. That's just going in circles. And, of course, they're right. You can't do that. I want to be sensitive to that. Let's start with the external. Let's start from evidence outside the Bible. Okay, under external evidence, there will be three points to list. Here comes point number one. The Bible's preeminence among literature. Write in the word literature, please. Now, you think with me while you're writing, whether you believe it or not, the Bible stands head and shoulders above every other piece of human literature throughout all of human history. And I'm going to make three points under the preeminence of the Bible as, as literature. Get these three. Number one, the Bible is preeminent in its circulation. Write in the word circulation. Fascinating. Listen to this. The Bible has been read by more people in more languages than any other book in history. Keep your pen moving. It is now translated into 400 languages with portions of it in 2,500 languages on earth. Wow. Ever go to a motel? You do. You know that in a motel, if you open a little bedside stand, what's inside that bedside stand? Gideon Bible. Listen to this. Let me give you a statistic. Whoa. The Gideons International placed and distributed more than 56 million complete copies of the Bible globally in the year 2001. That averages a million copies a week or 107 copies per minute are spread throughout the earth. Wow. The Bible is preeminent in its circulation. No book on earth rivals it. And keep going here. The Bible is preeminent in its influence. In its influence. Right in the word influence. Its influence on other literature and books is incalculable. You know this. More books have been written about the Bible than any other subject on earth. And more authors have quoted the Bible than any other source on earth. <laughs> We're talking about a book that has preeminence. One more. The Bible is preeminent among religious writings. Above all the holy books you can think of. This one stands head and shoulders. Let me quote James McDonald now. I thought this was a little punchy. Saying that any book... Anywhere written by anyone could on any level compare to the Bible would be a statement of ignorance. Don't you? You can run into a guy and say, hey, that book is nothing, man. That book is just nothing. That guy, that guy doesn't know diddly squat. See, it's a statement of ignorance. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the scholarly world will tell you the Bible is preeminent. Okay. Now, we're still under external evidence. Three evidences under external. Number one would be the... Uh, 
preeminence among literature. Here comes number two. Preservation under attack. Preservation. This is still external now. Preservation under attack. The Bible has always been under attack by its enemies. Write it down first. The attack of man. Okay, human attack. The attack of man. People, you know this, have devoted their lives to destroying God's Word. No other word, no other book has been so burned, banned, and banished as the Bible. No other book on earth. Somebody is out to eradicate it. Uh, Have you ever heard of the French infidel Voltaire? Have you heard of Voltaire? Come on, you have. I know you have. Voltaire predicted that Christianity would be destroyed within a hundred years of his lifetime and that you would only forevermore be able to find the Bible in a museum. Today, you can only find Voltaire in a museum. And the Bible continues to remain the globe's hottest bestseller. What's going on here? I like how McDonald put it. God is 100% committed to taking care of this book. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to wow you with the incredible supernatural nature of this book you left at home today. All right. Preservation under attack, number one, the attack of man. Here comes the other one, the attack of time. Because you'll run into critics. Thinking people say, oh, the Bible, it's so old, we don't even know if it's reliable anymore. Please. Some, let me tell you what, today, you might jot these down. Today, there are over 5,600 ancient manuscripts of just the Greek New Testament. 10,000 Latin manuscripts of the Bible. And 9,300 early versions of the entire scripture. Nearly 25,000 early manuscripts exist today of the Bible. Now hold, your, hold on to your pew right now. The next most commonly copied document in human literature anywhere is Homer's Iliad. You English majors, you've heard of Homer's Iliad, haven't you? Homer's Iliad has 643 manuscripts that exist today and not one of them is complete. Not one is complete. Ladies and gentlemen, do the arithmetic. The Bible outnumbers Homer by nearly 40 to 1. Don't you ever let anybody tell you, it's not reliable. I just really can't be sure. It's the most reliable recorded book of history. Bar none, 40 times over the next closest. 40 times over. Okay, this is final number, final point number three for external evidence. Proof of archaeology. Oh, better be careful how you spell that. Archaeology. And you don't have to go anywhere on this campus, but a stone's throw away, we have our wonderful archaeological museum here at Andrews University. Just go and look. In fact, if you don't want to go that far, you want to sit down on your computer this afternoon, go to Google and type in the word Bible and type in the word archaeology. You will have so much reading material, you'll never be able to stop. Archaeology confirming now the veracity of this ancient document. Wow. Three evidences that lift the Bible head and shoulders above every other holy book on earth. Evidence number one is external. Evidence number two is internal. Write in the word internal, please. Two points under internal. Here they are. Number one, internal consistency. Write in the word consistency. Keep your pen moving. The Bible is a collection of 40 authors who wrote over a period of 1,500 years. And by the way, On the two subjects, nobody can agree about religion and politics. Isn't that something? And yet, over a period of 1,500 years, amazing unanimity in that document. 
Today, the Bible is the most internally consistent piece of accumulated human writing in all of history. How do you explain that, Pastor? I'll tell you why. God wrote the book. Now, come on. I know this is an educated audience. He did not pen it. He did not dictate it. That's true. Human beings did, which, by the way, is why, like four witnesses to a single car accident, you can get four varying accounts of the same event. They're all right, just four different angles. But write this down, please. I believe it is the divine authorship of Holy Scripture that is the only explanation for the Bible's compelling internal consistency, write it down, regarding human morality and divine truth. There is no book like it on the face of this earth. No book. Second point under uh, internal evidence. Oh, I love this one. Get a load of this. Write it down. Fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. Keep your pen moving. There are 61 major prophecies concerning the life of Jesus written centuries before His birth. Now, I I I want you to keep... Find a way to get these notes down, will you? In fact, I think you have a line here coming up. Statisticians. We got mathematicians. We got scientists. I'm looking at. I see you here. Statisticians. Okay. Here's what they tell us. They tell us the statistical probability of just eight, just eight of those 61 prophecies actually coming true. The statistical probability is write it down. Ten to the seventeenth. Ten to the seventeenth. That number is one hundred thousand trillion. One chance out of a hundred thousand trillion. He said, Dwight, I don't understand. I don't understand that many zeros. Neither do I. So let me give you an illustration. This will help you. This will help you. Let's say I blindfold you. Okay? I'm going to blindfold you. Cover up your eyes. And then let's say I I get a... You know what a silver dollar looks like? A silver dollar? I get silver dollars. I get so many silver dollars that I can pile silver dollars until they are two feet high. Okay? Two feet high. And then... I cover the entire state of Texas. The entire state of Texas covered with two feet high silver dollars. That would be a lot of money, wouldn't it? And then you're blindfolded. I tell you, I give you this simple instruction. Please wade out into those silver dollars and find for me the one that has the red dot on it. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, that is the probability of eight of 61 prophecies coming true regarding Jesus Christ. But we don't have eight of 61. Guess what? Have you heard? We have 61 of 61. How do you explain that? We are dealing with a supernatural document that has God as its author. Don't you ever apologize for keeping that book near to you. Don't you ever apologize for a pocket Bible. Don't you ever apologize For having it on your laptop. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You want moral accountability? You need a moral authority. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is. Here it is. Okay, three evidences. Here's here's number three. Jot it down, please. Evidence number three, experiential. Experiential. I want to end with an interview of a very dramatic story. And before I invite him up here and introduce him to you, I want to personally testify that as a pastor, I have witnessed the profound and supernatural effects both of hearing and reading the Holy Scripture, what that has had, the effects that has had on parishioners of mine over the years. Get this. 
Do you believe this? I have watched men die at peace because of the Bible. I have watched women live in hell with peace because of the Bible. I have watched young adults shackled with a body-addicting habit but become set free because of the Bible. I have watched children sing about the Bible from knee-high to a grasshopper, and I have tracked those kids, and I have watched them grow up to be mighty champions of the faith of Jesus Christ. I have seen the effects of the Bible. And by the way, I have personally, I have personally come to know a friendship with the author of this book. And I can testify. And by the way, that's the one piece of evidence nobody can gainsay. I can testify to its supernatural power. That's why I like the kids. I keep singing it. I keep singing it just like the children. If you know it, sing it with me. The B-I-B-L-E Yes, that's the book for me I stand alone on the Word of God the B-I-P-L-E. Hallelujah. I want to inter- introduce to you today my new friend, Rich Constantinescu. He's a graduate student here at Andrews University. Come on up, Rich. Good Romanian name. Rich has been into the drug culture. Rich has been into the occult culture. But he's standing here today because somebody has power for the deepest of holes into which we, we fall. Rich, so you grew up in a Christian home? That's right. Went to a Christian college? Seventh-day Adventist Christian college. Right. All right. How could a guy that has grown up with all of that, the B-I-B-L-E, how could you go into the drug culture and the occult? What happened? Well, I wasn't studying for myself. Um, I didn't understand how, how interconnected the Bible was. I didn't understand how divine it was. And um, it just, uh, it escaped me. The power of it escaped me. I didn't, I didn't trust this power. And so um, it was probably through music and, um, and friends. Just it kind of sucked you down. Yeah, little by little. It wasn't all at once. And in fact, the, the black you know, stuff never attracted me. Um, the occult um, is much more sneaky than that. Mm, mm. I mean, there were times, Rich, in your hallucinations. We're not talking about five-minute hallucinations. What are we talking about here? Um, <laughs> two years after I stopped um, actively taking the psychedelic drugs in order to communicate with, with um, the higher powers, mm-hmm. as I would call them. Actually, they're lower powers <laughs> mm-hmm. compared to God. Um, two years after that, seven days a week, basically, 24 hours a day, I would be having visual hallucinations. Wow. So you are in this up to your proverbial eyeballs, as it were. Captive. I was a drowning. You were drowning. Good metaphor. So, Rich, I mean, it got so bad that you decided, you decided, I'm out of here. I'm running from God. I'm running from everybody. What did you do to get yourself away from God and everybody you loved and knew? Well, first I went to Pastor Doug Batchelor and I asked him what he would do. Um, if this is he before would, you plunge down. This is, this is before I... I it, it's a long, complicated okay, situation because... Okay, let's do the short yeah. version of it. Okay. <laughs> All right. The, um, he said, saturate your mind with the Word of God. Okay. 
So, good so I started to do that. And um, I lost my grip on the word and, and I found something else to do instead of that. And I eventually plunged. And, um, so after you started saturating yourself, you just you got distracted and then you go over the cliff. Well, yeah, I, I, I went over many cliffs in okay. my life, right. um, but uh, this one was one of them. Tell and me how you tried to get away from God and your family. What were you doing? Okay, well, I was living with my dad. I packed my car up when he was gone. Um, all my family members were out of the house. I just took my computer. Everything I owned, I just put in my car, and I just jetted out of there. Did you know where you were going? Uh, I didn't know exactly where I was going, but I, I had some ideas. Okay, so <laughs> then you, you, you were in California. What, take uh, me, get, okay. get me to Boulder, will you? All right, Sedona. And then four days after that, five days, I left from Sedona, which is like a Sedona's in crazy Arizona? place. Arizona, yeah. yeah. okay. And then to Boulder. You're up in Boulder. I was in Boulder. Kind of the Buddhist type it's a of new what age it? situation. Um, there's a lot of, um, just a lot of crazy um, spiritualism and yeah. lifestyle. Runaway kids, you know, different stuff Were you like sending that. postcards home, telling people where you were? No one knew, I thought. Um, I thought, well, I made my decision, so God should certainly respect that. And uh, obviously, he doesn't want me because I don't want him. Okay. So I just left, and no one, it was an unlisted number. Bug off, like, God, I've got an unlisted number. Nobody can reach me. And yeah, yet, okay. one night in Boulder, what happens? Uh, well, I was staying with a friend who okay. was, um, had an unlisted number, and the phone rang. I had been to uh, that friend's uh, New Age school that day. I had experienced what they did there. Mm-hmm. And... Um, came back and we were, I was cooking some ramen noodles, a great runaway food. And, uh, and the phone rang and it was my brother-in-law, Don McIntosh, who's a pastor. Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Right. All right. And, and he gets a hold of an unlisted number? I have no idea what he did, but he won't tell me. All he says is, God led me to you. And my friend said, Don McIntosh wants to talk with you. And I almost fainted. I, I really did. My ramen almost went everywhere. <laughs> I just... I can't believe... It, you know, that, that, that is what's so amazing. I, I hear you, I've heard your story several times. But that God... It's just like pulling... It's like that silver dollar with a red dot on it. Well, and he hit it. So <laughs> so you, you hung up. Even you didn't even talk to him. To him. Just, no, I was freaked out. I was okay. like, man, you know, where's the whale? You know, mm-hmm. just <laughs> eat me up. I mean, it was like... <laughs> okay, Jonah. So, you're thinking, though, into the night. You're thinking... Uh, yeah, I, you know, that troubled me so much, but I went ahead with my plans anyway okay. until the Lord really brought some text to my mind. And um, I started to tremble because I, I realized that God was pulling me out of there. And if I didn't move, that there would be serious consequences. And the, and the, the, the verses of Scripture that I learned um, as a child and also on my own study came to my mind. What did you do next? Well, I claim the promises, John 6:37, Isaiah 1:18, all the John good ones. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Jesus speaking, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Hallelujah. So, I accepted that. Okay. Um, most people wouldn't have accepted me. I was looking like a, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. You went back to the phone. Yeah, I Tell went me to about the phone. phone call. Um, well, my friend said, "Are you sure you want to do this?" My friend was possessed of something. It was crazy, and. Um, and uh, I said, yeah, I'm sure. Can I use your phone? I'll pay you for it. And are you sure you want to do it? I just picked up the phone. I called my brother-in-law and I woke him up. It was two, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Where is he? Is he, he was, Kansas. He was in Kansas. You're in Colorado. Yeah. Right. And uh, woke him up. He said, you know, what's, what are you doing? And I said, I want to come home. You know, I want to. I wanna... And he said, now he had called me earlier. So he knew where I was, apparently, at least the phone number. And he said, 
he listened to me. He knew I was sincere. I wasn't just playing around. And he said, stay right where you are. He said, I already have a plane ticket. I know where your car is. Par-. It was incredible. He said, I'll be there in four hours. You know, he's like, my plane leaves in like a few, in a couple hours. And I'll be there in the morning. Just stay where you're at. Yeah, so, you, folks, I don't know if you're getting this, but this guy is running. There is nobody that knows where he is on earth. But God has already moved the forces of heaven. The plane ticket is bought. He knows where the house is. The unlisted number. We don't know how Pastor Don got a hold of that. But the unlisted number he has. Because God has an eye on a boy who's on the run. I think he was in collaboration with another minister in Boulder. <laughs> because he, he, both of them knocked on my door at, like that morning. The next morning. That morning. Because it was 2 o'clock in the morning when... Wow. So they both not. So somehow I don't know how. But so rich, crazy. rich, rich, rich. Look, they they pull you back into their love embrace. You come back. He drove back to Kansas with me. He drove okay. my car for me. Right. He wouldn't trust me to drive my car. Now, now look. Here you are at Andrews University, grad student here. Rich, the Bible. What does memorizing the Bible do for you? Well, it helps me to have the Word with me at all times. Um, it gives the Spirit an opportunity to speak to me. Okay. Um, it literally strengthens my mind. It's caused my hallucinations to fade. Praise God. Um, there's been about 144 billion reasons mm-hmm. <laughs> why I memorize the Bible. Mm-hmm. You've become a part of an organization. Let me put the, let me put the, uh, the website on the screen here, www.fast.st. Right. Let's, let's, if we can get that on the screen, please. Uh, Rich, tell me about Fast. Um, fast yourselves, people memorize the word fast, hold it fast, um, be ready for the final movements, which will be fast. Okay, works for me. Gimmicks? Well, we, uh, we have ten keys to scripture memory. They're all found in the Bible. Okay. They work. Right. Um, I was severely damaged uh, mentally, yeah. spiritually, and physically, okay. and I was still able to memorize. So, wow. it works. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm having Rich stand up here with me because, number one, he's a living testimony to the power of God. Can you say amen to that? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And number two, number two, I am so impressed with how God took this man out of the occult and the drug culture and made him a champion of scriptural memorization. For years, I've been wanting to find some sort of a a strategy to lock the scripture in my own heart and mind. I'm sensing a need. I'm sensing the times are urgent for God raising up a generation to do just that, to hide His Word in our hearts. And so I I met Rich just a few days ago. And I said, Rich, look, would you be willing to teach me? I want to learn this method. Teach me how to memorize scripture. And while you're teaching me, can I invite my friends here at Andrews University? Can I invite every student in this university and the faculty and the community? And can I, can, would you just stand up in front of us? Even old people can memorize. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. I love you, too. Oh, <laughs> Andrew, it's so nice to have you, Rich. Wish you could have stayed longer. But, uh, I was here for first service. He's the one that, that said that first okay. time. Thanks for that reminder. Uh, Guys, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to take my arm from around Rich, and I want to be just as serious as I can be. Rich, you stand right here beside me. I really believe that the time has come for God to raise up a generation of warriors who are saturated in the Word of God. I believe you're it. I believe you are that generation. And I'm looking at white hair out there. You're a part of that generation. Let me just tell you something that I didn't tell anybody in First Church. 
just coming to me right now. Do you know that Rich was, they had some early morning prayer meetings in this church. We said, yeah, you can come down in the commons, use it. They're praying for the spirit to be outpoured. And during those prayer sessions, how, was that a year ago or last, last yeah, winter? It was in uh, winter 03. Winter 03, Rich began to pray that God would lead the pastor of this church to call this campus to a study and memorization of Holy Scripture. And just this summer, after meeting with a handful of university students who provided the grist for that thinking, Rich's prayer got answered. Amen. Hallelujah. And so I'm dead serious right now. Jesus says in Matthew 24 that the deception at the end of time is going to be so severe that if it were possible, even the elect, God's closest friends, are going to get sucked in. If it were possible. It's not possible. Not if you have hid God's Word in your heart so that you might not sin against Him. You will never fall. Here's, here's the deal, guys. I see these Muslims. Adults. I see Jews. I see them repeating by memory deep within the heart. And I'm thinking, here is a Christian generation in Michiana. And how many of us don't even take our Bibles to church anymore? Come on, the holiest book i just shown you. It has credentials to stand head and shoulders above every other piece of human literature because it's divine. Guys, here's my appeal. Would you please come Wednesday night? I'm asking Rich to be here Wednesday night. House of Prayer, all right, 7 o'clock. I said, Rich, you just stand up front. We'll get a little singing going and then it's yours. You, show, you tell us the strategy. Let us put it all out on the table. We can make a decision then. Do I want to equip my mind this way? And then you make the decision. I would like to have a thousand of the, of the young adults in this university here Wednesday night. Some of you are taking labs. I'm giving you permission now to skip the lab this Wednesday night. I'm as serious as I can be. Your teacher, if he knew, if she knew you were going to be here, would say, you know what? I'd let you, I, I think it would be well for you to go. I, you must, you must take seriously this opportunity to saturate yourself in a strategic method that is simple but sure. It brought a man out of darkness when he was at the bottom of the pit. What he had begun to memorize was God's foothold to begin pulling him back. I don't know what your journey is, and I don't know what mine is, but I just know that the time now is right for a generation to be trained. By the way, not just young adults. I'm asking every adult who is here today. I'm, I'm asking those of you listening on the radio. I'm asking those of you watching on television. I'm asking you, would you please? I don't know what's on TV Wednesday night, but I just have a sneaky suspicion that what you would hear here would be even greater than what you would see there. Would you be willing to come? Wednesday night. It's four days away. Wednesday night. Come to this sanctuary. Come to this house of prayer. We'll take only one hour. Less than an hour of your time. But you owe it to yourself. God will never get you this close to a method that will set. Some of you will be set free forever and ever. You will never be the same again. I hope you'll come. One quick testimony. Can I give one? It, it's, it would have to be very quick. Okay. Um, a doctor asked me two questions. He said, what are your religious beliefs? Yeah. And have you experienced, have you, has your life been in danger in the past two weeks? And I answered that I believe there's an invisible great controversy. Mm -hmm. And yes, I do believe my life has been in danger because obviously the devil's after us. Mm -hmm. On the basis of those two things, they actually placed me in a psychiatric unit, put me on two drugs, and I couldn't read anything for, two, for, for one month because mm -hmm. of my eyesight, my near, nearsighted vision. I couldn't read anything. Spirit mm -hmm. of prophecy, Bible. I was dependent on whatever I had in my mind. 
I don't want that ever to happen again to me mm. or anything where I'm not with the Bible, where I don't have it in my heart. And so it's not only a now issue, it's a future issue. It's a preparation. It's just logistics. My mm. parents are from a communist country. Do the math. Oh. Thank you, Rich. Thank you very much. God bless you. Big hand to Rich. Constantinescu. Let's be on the journey together. Let's be on this journey together. 